Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. This is day two of our season reviews. And up first, we have Steve representing Arsenal. If you want to reach him, he's at finepubsport.com. Steve, what did you make of Arsenal's season this year? Um, well, it was, it's been an interesting one. Um, there's a big debate in the uh, Arsenal fan circle as to whether or not we've made progress. Um, as in real progress from last year, you know, we were we were seven points back at the end of last year when all was said and done from the champions and we won the FA Cup. So this year it sort of hinges on whether or not we can do the same again, repeat the trick. Two FA Cups in a row would be uh, would be a start. Um, we're further back from the um, the title holders Chelsea this year than we were from City last year. But I think that has more to do with the anomaly that happens after World Cup years when, I mean, it took Manchester United, Arsenal, Liverpool and City a while to find their stride. And in some cases, they didn't find it at all throughout the season. Um, So it was kind of a common problem. The only team that hit the ground running were Chelsea and then they faded off later on uh, in certain senses, but they were by then too far ahead to catch. So... Um, it's been it's been an inconsistent season. The first half of it was it was I think it was only two wins from our first eight games or something silly like that, um, and both of those were were late wins that we were quite lucky to get. So the axes were being sharpened for us and Wenger again at that point, um, and that kind of lasted up until Christmas when we started picking up the results you would expect us to pick up. And then since Christmas, things have been completely different. We went on that um, 10-game unbeaten streak. Uh, eight of them were won in a row. All of a sudden, we were second in the league and, and we were bearing down, not bearing down on Chelsea because they were too far ahead, but we were the team that people briefly were talking about whether we could catch them or not. Um, obviously, ultimately, we weren't able to. Um, but the fact that we were being talked about in those circles and, and we've come third instead of fourth, I guess, is progress. Um, the signing of Alexis has been huge. It's another statement of intent the year after signing Ozil that the shackles are off in terms of finances, uh, which I think is why we haven't done so well in the last decade or so in comparison to Arsene Wenger's first few years in charge. So yeah, it's 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 been a year. I think I'm in the camp that thinks it has been a year of progress, and I do think that a couple of decent acquisitions will mean that last uh, next season we'll be able to remain more consistent than we have this season. And we don't have the World Cup. I mean, unfortunately, we had quite a strong German contingent um, in our side, and mm. uh, uh, both of whom. Well, we had Podolski as well, but let's not 
count him. But Ozil and Mertesacker are starters in our team um, every week, two of our biggest players. And the fact that they came back late. And then for a little while, Arsene Wenger seemed to, he seemed to find a shape in the first couple of weeks of the season um, and then struggled to get the, the, those players back into it. And I think that was where the inconsistency came from. Um, but then we kind of found our shape halfway through the season, as I say, went on that run. Also stumbled upon um, Coquelin as the option, as the defensive midfielder, and he seemed to have made a huge difference. Um, and yeah, so in the end, we had a strong second half to the season, which matched our strong first half to the season last year. So if we can just put two of those together, then uh, we should be fine. Yeah, you mentioned Wenger having to move some stuff around, people thinking that he might be done after next season. How happy are you with his performance this year, and do you have any idea what the plan is for after him? Um, I have always been in the pro-Wenger camp. Uh, I think he's done too much at the club and for the club to say at any point that he should be um, sacked, unless, obviously, he has a major issue and we he just the team stop playing for it and we end up kind of mid-table but for as long as we're we're challenging for that Champions League place we should be doing better than that now um, now that we've come out of the other side of building the stadium but the fact is that for his first nine years in charge he was the most successful manager the club has ever seen um, um, we barely went five minutes without winning something which is obviously fantastic then we've built this stadium um which is making us something like three million pounds per home game now uh the first few years were we were just paying that off which is why we had to get rid of our big players we were a selling club for a number of years uh van percy nasri fabregas um all you know all those names that had to disappear so that we could pay for the stadium but the fact that he managed to keep us in the top four throughout that period of time when we were losing our um, just goes to show how good a manager he is and I think now that he's got the disposal uh, the, the funds at his disposal I think he's got a better chance of continuing and getting back on form the competition is different now um, back in his first nine years he was it was pretty much just Manchester United who he was up against most seasons and now with the the money coming in, he's got Chelsea to deal with, Man City to deal with and Manchester United. So competition is fierce a second time around. So I'm not saying he's going to turn around and win as many trophies as he did in his first nine years for his last couple of years of his contract. But but I think we'll be challenging for things now. And I think that we will be um, more in the reckoning, particularly if we can find um, one or two squad strengthening signings this summer. But yeah, I'm happy with Arsene Wenger um, and I hope he'll stay to the end of his contract, which I think runs for two more years. Um, the stability at the club has been one of its main strong points. And following on from him, honestly, I have no idea. Um, I don't really like to think about it because of what happened at Manchester United when, us, uh, when Alex Ferguson left. Um, we'll have to, uh, part of me thinks we'll have to get someone in who is happy to play second fiddle for a year, almost. Um, so work as his assistant, learn how the club is run, and then try and take over 
in a similar mould, but then evolve his own ideas under what Wenger has done. Um, but I can't see that happening in this day and age because obviously if you've got a name, this the sort of person that you would want running your club or with all the names that are being mentioned, people like Jurgen Klopp, um, they're not going to want to play second fiddle for a year. So um, so I, I, it's hard to tell. what uh, the, the other alternative, of course, is um, go for another complete unknown uh, who's been working with Monaco and somewhere in Japan because that worked for us last time. Um, so if we can get someone in who everybody... I mean, Arsene Who was the famous uh, was the famous headline when Arsenal signed him uh, or brought him in. Mm. So if we can find another unknown like that who's going to come on and uh, revolutionise the club in a in a new direction and win a bunch of trophies, then I'd be happy with that as well. All right, and as you were impressed with him, which players impressed you the most, and who would be your player and young player of the season? Um, player of the season, I don't think there is much debate. It has to be Alexis Sanchez. He's been an incredible signing, uh, not just for his goals um, and the number of tight chances he's made, but for his sheer energy, force of will, level of skill, the way he's brought the team up as well. Players like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, uh, Olivier Giroud, um, they've been inspired by his work rate up front, I think. Danny Welbeck as well. Um, and I think that he has brought the team's level up by his pace, the way he presses, his energy, and he's sort of shown the others what can be done. Um, and on top of that, the champion on top of that, obviously, is that he scored a lot of important goals as well. So he's a world-class player um, in a in a side that just needed one or two players of that ilk and I think that if we can find not someone like him because that would be like you know there's they only come along once in a while but if we can find someone who, who can feed off that sort of energy um in our forward line uh and maybe someone defensive I know we're going on to transfers later uh, maybe someone defensive midfield or central defense that could uh, could fill in as well then I think we'll be in good shape next year um but it has to be Oxlade, uh, sorry, it has, has to be Alexis Sanchez uh, as our player of the year because, in terms of impact, I don't think there's any argument that he has had the biggest impact on the club. In terms of young player of the year, it's, um, it depends how, uh, how accurately you want me to, to consider young player of the year hmm. because, um, my first thought was Coquelin, Francis Coquelin, because. The way, as I said before, the way he came in, we had a raft of injuries, which I kind of forgot to mention in the season uh, review, actually. The first half of the season when we were really inconsistent, we also had a raft of injuries that led to us bringing back a Loney from Charlton just to play in midfield. But it just so happens that Loney from Charlton was um, Francis Coquelin, who has slotted into that defensive midfield slot, the kind of player that we were looking for and looking to spend kind of 30 to 40 million on. And he's come in and given a balance to that midfield that was really lacking. Um, so his influence can't be um, underestimated, I don't think, in that sense, because that defensive stability has given 
the forward line, the, the truly uh, impressive forward line, the number of options that Arsenal have is ridiculous. Um, but it's no good having a million forwards if you've only got one defender. So Coquelin has come in and um, he's given us that stability. But it depends how accurately you want to say young player of the year, because I think he's already 23, 24, and he's been around the club for a number of years. It's just that he's emerged properly as a as a name on the team sheet this season. Um, so in that sense, he's the young player of the year in that he is the the hottest new emergence. But if you want to go proper young player of the year, then I suppose it's got to be Hector Bellerin. Um Again, due to injury, um, Mathieu Debussy was brought over the summer um, and he was out with an ankle problem first for, for three months early in the season. And then um, about two games after he came back, um, Arnautovic of Stoke shoved him into the uh, unnecessarily into the advertising hoardings and he broke his collarbone and dislocated his shoulder or something like that. Um, so he's been missing for that for pretty much the whole season. And in his stead, uh, young Spanish speedster Hector Bellerin's come along and he's been superb. Um, and he is, he definitely qualifies in the young bracket because he's not, he's not even 20 years old yet. Um, so it just adds to that sort of the feel that the feeling that we've got squad depth now. Um, because you know we could play Debussy or Bayerin at right back. We've got left back. We've got Gibbs or Monreal. We've got three first team quality central defenders. Um, the, we've got Coquelin for defensive midfield, and then that that array of attacking options I mentioned earlier. So, but I think Bayerin has been been a big hit this season. And if you want to specifically go for you know under twenty ones, then he is the young player of the year. Um, but we do have other players in that position. So if you want to go in terms of an emerging player who's had the most impact, it would be Coquelin. So it's up to you which one of those you would like to take. All right. And from the players that you already have that are performing well, uh, you mentioned you might have a hole even with him at, at defensive midfield. What positions do you think you need to strengthen in over the summer? And do you have any names that you think might fill those holes? Um I think, as I say, I think we could do, it's, it's not to do with buying another Alexis Sanchez this summer, I don't think. Um, I don't think, I mean, if, if we do, then great. <laughs> I'm not going to say no, obviously. But I think <laughs> the, the squad that we have is a very strong squad now. Um, as I say, we've got coverage in most positions. So if we could have, some people are talking about this mythical striker. Um, some kind of mythical world-class striker that that we need to buy, no, but nobody seems to know a name. Um, and as we as we saw from Falcao at Manchester United this year, nobody is a banker. Um, you could go out and get a name for millions of pounds and pay him hundreds of thousands of pounds a week, and he could flop like Falcao. Um, whereas Giroud actually has improved season on season at Arsenal. He's a really underrated striker both for the way he works within the team and the number of goals. I mean, he had three ma- He had uh, an injury issue with a broken bone in his ankle earlier in the season. But if you take those out, his stats this season are up there with, in terms of goals per minutes on the pitch, are up there not too far behind the likes of Costa and Harry Kane, um, Aguero and all, you know, that, that sort of ilk. But he doesn't get mentioned in their, in their, um, 
bracket very often because he's not as showy as them. Um, but if we could get another forward in to lighten the load on him a little bit, um, but possibly just it might be a case of offering Danny Welbeck more of a chance there. Um, so possibly a forward um, just to play through the middle. Um, defensive midfield, as I say, most of our positions have got backup. Um, but if Coquelin suddenly, have, having not had this season, he's made himself indispensable in a way. And if he was injured for any length of time, I think we would struggle to replace him from the current squad. So we would need someone to come in and challenge him for his place, I think. Um, the difficulty is there. He's just signed a new contract and he's getting used to being in the first team. So if you suddenly brought in someone to completely take his place, that would demoralise him, I think. So I think you need to bring in someone who can challenge him for his place um, and keep him on his toes and cover deputise for him when he's not there. So, again, it's, it's more of a, a backup player. So we're not talking big money, I wouldn't have thought, but maybe a youngster to to bring on and, and, and mould in that sort of position. So I guess the most important thing to find is a goalkeeper. Um, it would not surprise me at all if Chesney left this summer uh, after his antics at Southampton, both giving away both the goals and then smoking in the shower to celebrate afterwards. That's a very smart move. Um, <laughs> and we've barely seen him since. Uh, there's a big debate going on at the moment as to whether or not he'll play in the FA Cup final next week. Um, and I wonder what odds you would have got uh, on if you'd have said for the next two years, if, 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 Arsenal, if Arsenal win, I'm not saying we will, but if Arsenal win the FA Cup, I wonder what odds you'd have got for, for the keeper on both occasions to be a Polish goalkeeper playing his last game for the club um, and winning the FA Cup in it. Um, but I think he might go in the summer because I think he's got an attitude issue apart from anything else. And Ospina, he's, again, he's come in at a time when the defensive stability has been brilliant and he has made some crucial saves along the way as well. But there are times, because he's only, you know, he's, at, he's only about five foot ten or five foot nine. And there are times when height is important for a goalkeeper. Um, take, for instance, Swansea's winning goal against Arsenal the other, the other week. I think if Chesney had been in goal on that day, for instance, or someone a few inches taller, they'd have got down to that or they'd have got to that before it had crossed the line. So it's nothing technically that, that Ospina's doing wrong. He's a very good goalkeeper and a very solid goalkeeper. And he actually, for someone who isn't, hasn't got the stature, he does dominate his box relatively well. But I think a couple of times Arsenal have let in goals that if he had a couple of extra inches, they wouldn't have. Um, so talk of Petr Cech is very welcome from my point of view. Uh, he's a proven goalkeeper. He is a world-class goalkeeper. Uh, Chelsea have decided to go with youth and that's fine by, you know, that if, they, if that's their policy and that's what they want to do in Courtois. Um, He's had a couple of ricks, but he has looked very, very good as well. Um, but if Petr Cech is available, then I'd go and get Petr Cech. But failing that, then if we can get a solid first-team goalkeeper who is going to be the number one, um, then uh, then I think that would help the squad as well. But the thing is, I don't think, as I say, I don't think 
I don't think we're in the market for the sort of marquee forty million pound signing that we were last year. I know that a lot of Arsenal fans will disagree with me and won't be very happy if we don't go out and spend fifty million on someone this year. But I think if we brought in a striker to back up Giroud and we brought in uh, a goalkeeper to to take over from Ospina um, and let Chesney go, and we brought in a defensive midfielder to challenge Cockerlam. I think our squad would be in a lot stronger state. Plus, it seems touch wood, touching wood, um, the um, the injury situation with the new physio team is much improved. So our strength in depth actually starts to count for something. Mm. Um, because our strength strength in depth for Arsenal used to mean the list of people that you can bring in when everybody else gets injured. Um, whereas now, strength in depth means the list of people that you can choose from in each position. So that's a that's a big difference. All right, and uh, quickly, what do you think your objectives will be for next season? Um, improve in the Premier League, challenge, properly challenge for the title. Um, domestic Cup runs, I mean, they're a bit of a lottery um, anyway. It just so happens that we've done well in the FA Cup the last couple of years. It would be nice. But I think the main objective probably next year, aside from maintaining a proper challenge for the title, will be improve in the Champions League, even just to go around further because this year was supposed to be our year for that because we had the in inverted commas weaker um the, the weaker opposition but uh but monaco turned us over at home we were naive we were really naive uh, in that first leg and it cost us again so we need to learn from that and go further in that competition great well thank you so much for doing this for coming on all season and we can't wait to work with you again next year okay no worries have a good one up next, we have Jim Knight talking Leicester's season. He's the chief betting editor for Goal.com, so if you want to hear from him, you can go over there. Uh, Jim, what have you made of Leicester's season? It's been a season of, well, you say normally a season of two halves, but it's kind of been a season of three quarters and then one really good quarter tacked <laughs> onto the end of three quite disappointing quarters, to be honest. Um, we've been fairly, fairly good this year. I think the results in the last eight or nine games have started to show the kind of football that we're capable of playing, but we somehow, you know, mentally or physically were just unlucky not to be playing in the uh, in the first two-thirds, three-quarters of the season. Um, it started really well. We had high hopes of, of avoiding relegation quite comfortably, and then we got something, we got sucked into a really horrible run of form, um, and everything seemed to be going against us. And then we kind of finally pulled ourselves out of it, which is a massive relief to everyone in the city, to be honest. Um, we we looked dead and buried for a long time after Christmas and we never seemed to kind of pull out of that tailspin. So it's a, it's a really refreshing... Um, we kind of feel more glad for it, I think. Like now that we are staying up, everyone's so thankful of it. No one's taking it for granted and blasé about it, which may have a nice effect going into next season, to be honest, because everyone is appreciating the fact that we're staying in the league and playing Premier League football again, whereas a lot of people, you know, probably were already planning, or me included, uh, for another season in the Championship after one kind of brief swan song in the Premier League. All right, uh, we mentioned early in the, in the season on the podcast that we didn't know that Nigel Pearson hadn't actually been sacked, obviously steered you towards safety. What have you made of his performance this season, and do you think you'll be sticking with him for a while? Yeah, I think this year has been kind of an acid test, really. He's worked really, really hard to get us where we are uh, today. And to be honest, he has got to take a lot of credit for... I know they went down 
uh, this weekend, but he's got to take a lot of credit for getting Hull City up to the Premier League um, when he left them to come back to us, um, which was a really weird scenario where we sacked him, realised he was actually quite good and then brought him back again a few years ago. Um, he did some really great work at Hull and really that laid the foundations for their promotion season, which Steve Bruce was able to kind of capitalise on. So um, he... You know, I think he's a fir- he's a he is a firm fan's favourite. I don't think that's ever been in doubt. It was just that the, there was starting to be a few doubters in terms of people believing that we could have gone out and got a better manager at times. Um, I don't think there was ever too much ill feeling towards him, uh, supporter wise, apart from one guy who he told in no uncertain circumstances to leave the premises and cease breathing. Uh, that's the uh, the radio edit of what he actually said. You can go on YouTube if you want to see the proper clip. Um, but for the most part, the, the fans have always been behind him. Um, he's spent the money quite wisely this year. We have invested quite a bit of money thanks to the owners. Um, I think the majority of people are happy with his signings and the way that he's approached it. We seem to have really hit upon a nice, comfortable formation, which gets the best out of our players and kind of covers our weaknesses quite well at the moment in a 3-5-2 kind of with wing-backs, um, a flat-back five, which isn't really a, which is really only a flat three. Um, but all Brighton and Jeffrey Slup, who are the two players that have finished the season playing those fullback roles, have learned to to tone back their wing play to kind of become defensive uh, assets as much as attacking ones. So that allows us the vibrancy to to play wide, which is what we love to do and get crosses into the box, which is the main reason we bought uh, Lee Joa from Brighton to for his aerial prowess. Um, and it gives players like Jamie Vardy and Riyad Mahrez the freedom in the middle to uh, to run at defences and play a high line because you know you've got three quite central midfielders to uh, to clog up the middle third of the field and hopefully you you don't get done too easily um, giving up the midfield possession. So yeah, I think the majority of fans are behind him. I think he'll stay with us now for a little while. I can't see him being sacked unless we do have an absolutely rancid start to next season. Uh, he's earned the right now. Um, to have the benefit of the doubt for a significant amount of time. And to be honest, I don't think there's many better managers equipped to take us out of the championship if we did go down. That was the feeling of a lot of fans. And to be honest, I think when the owners reversed their decision um, in uh, in February, when he was sacked and then reinstated again within the, the, within the uh, spell of a couple of hours, he has earned the right, I think that decision has proved it, that he will get the benefit of the doubt, even if we probably did go down, that he would get an opportunity to bring us back up again, because I'm not convinced there's very many better candidates out there. Fair enough. And from there, which player would you say was your player and young player of the season? Um, I'm quite in agreement, actually, with the club's voting system, which happened a couple of weeks ago now. Um, The player of the season was, was Esteban Cambiasso. I was at the game yesterday, and it certainly looked from his post-match, uh, sorry, his his post-award ceremony speech and yesterday's um, kind of showing in the, in the lap of appreciation, they call it now. Nobody wants to call it a lap of honour anymore in this country. It's a lap of appreciation for the fans. Um, he certainly looked to be waving his goodbyes um, to, the, to the, the Leicester City faithful, which is disappointing to be honest because he's been exceptional this year it's been a pleasure to watch a talent like that and he has had such a distinguished career that we were able to attract a player like that is you know beyond our wildest dreams kind of five or ten years ago that we'd be able to have a Champions League winning uh, Argentina international who's got 50 caps for his country playing in the centre of our midfield Um, and he's still the best player at the club which 
makes the fact that he's probably not going to sign a new contract and stay another year even more disappointing uh, because he could clearly do a job. And, I, you know, I don't know if he is thinking about retiring. I'm guessing he is at his age, whether or not he feels he's, he's done his job now and he wants to go out on a relative high by uh, avoiding relegation after it looks so certain um, or whether he's going to go somewhere else because he could undoubtedly play, at, at, you know, at a very high level again. Um, of that, there is no doubt. I think that's pr- been proven this season, and it was fitting for him to get a goal as well in the last uh, the last game of the season. So I was really pleased to, to see him score. I was right behind it as well, the, the angle that he hit it from. So I was I was really pleased for that uh, for him. Young Player of the Year, Jeffrey Slup, who has um, I've spoken about a few times on the podcast, been a little bit inconsistent at times, but really turned it on in this this last uh, dozen games or so and made that uh, that left fullback spot his own. Um, for a player who came into the club as a striker and who had kind of ambitions of becoming uh, an out-and-out centre-forward, albeit a very very pacey and strong one, he's uh, he's been really adapted to the role of uh, a fullback extremely well. Um, the club and the, the the technical staff that work with the players should be extremely proud of that transition. He's now capped by the the Ghana squad and would have gone to the African Cup of Nations this year, I'd imagine, were it not for a niggling injury that kept him out of that squad. Um, so he's kind of come on leaps and bounds this year, and particularly the second half of the season in his development as a player. Um, he's strong. He's 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 fast, and he could he he could be a real star. Now that he's nailed down that spot and made it his own, if he throws his all into becoming a really good left fullback, come left winger, he could he could be fantastic in the next four or five years. Yeah, you've mentioned Cambiasso is likely on the way out. Do you know how you would plan to fill that hole, and are there any other holes in your squad that you'd like to see filled over the summer? Yeah, I mean that would be the main one if he did leave. I think um, we would need some money invested in our central midfield, mostly because. Um, we've kind of struggled to nail down a um, without without Cambiasso, we would have struggled to nail down a, a consistently uh, good enough central midfield partnership. I think I'm not sure that just turning to the players that we've got in the squad at the moment is sufficient enough to fill that gap. The likes of Danny Drinkwater, Matty James has been extremely good this year um, for his part, but I also think that's mostly because Cambiasso has enabled him to do the Michael Carrick role. Um, extremely well in terms of doing the work that nobody really appreciates or sees in the game um, and giving Cambiasso the the forward um, momentum to be able to take the freedom of, of taking the ball and, and going on mazy runs and spraying big passes out because he knows that he's got Matty James covering behind him. Um, that would be the big hole in midfield. Um, obviously, it depends on the transfer business as well. If we lose players like Riyad Mahrez, um, if if West Brom come calling for Jamie Vardy again, as they did in January, then we could have a, a striker issue there. Um, we've already been linked to Okasaki, a, uh, a Japanese international at, at Mines, who's out of contract this summer. And apparently uh, Bruce and Mushin Gladbach are interested as well. We were sniffing around in January, but it was at the Asia Cup. So that's that was difficult to get a, a, a deal done then. But we, we've been linked with him, so we could potentially be seeing a, a few changes up top this year. If we if we do lose um, a player, we'd be looking to bring someone like him in. I still think centre-back is an issue for us. Um, we have Robert Huth going back to Stoke on loan now, um, which leaves us with Martin Vasilevsky and, and Wes Morgan as our two kind of premier centre-backs. I don't think that central defensive partnership is enough, to be honest, to to kick on from where we are or indeed kind of stay where we are. Huth's been such a big part of the season that we need to sign, preferably Huth, 
But if not, then a player of his calibre that can organise that defence and, and play that central three um, and really kind of someone with the knowledge and experience to help the other two uh, centre-backs kind of progress and play their natural game, uh, knowing that they've got a steady hand. Um, apart from that, potentially a, a new fullback. Um, I know Jeff has been brilliant this year, and I, for me, you know, I would like to see him hold down that place next season. Um, we probably need some new backup in that position. Paul Konchesky is not getting any younger. He's played a lot of Premier League football, and indeed a lot of football in his career uh, for various teams, you know, at very good levels with Fulham and Liverpool, uh, particularly. So, I think we need a new backup left back, um, at least one, if not two, centre backs. The midfield needs a bit of work. The wide players, I'm not too too bothered about. I think the players that we've got, unless we lose key players, we don't necessarily need to, to invest too much in that area. And then up front, I think that will all be, all be determined by the transfer business as well. Um, because those players that have, have performed particularly well, like Jamie Vardy has, uh, are kind of sure to be on the radar now of a lot of other clubs. And there is every chance that someone like him could go for six, seven, eight million pounds to West Brom in the summer. Uh, Tony Pulis is a big fan, so we'll just have to kind of wait and see and adapt on that basis. All right, and lastly, what are your goals for this season? Do you think it's just to stay up again, or do you think you'll be looking further up the table? I think a lot of fans would take another season of of kind of avoiding relegation. The owners have already spoken this week um, in the kind of immediate aftermath of the game, the QPR game, um, to say that they would like their ambitions are above and beyond avoiding relegation. Uh, they spoke about a, a similar project, you know, the same project in a similar way when we got promoted to say that, you know, we would like to be looking towards the Europa League places and, you know, European football in kind of five years time, one of which is obviously now gone. So that, you know, the, the sands ever weigh on that, on that front. Um, so if, if that is the case, the squad certainly needs some more depth and some more quality. Um, but I'm pleased to have the progressive owners. You know, you look at situations like uh, Newcastle uh, and some of the clubs that have just avoided relegation and you think they would be happy to exist in that in that ether between not getting relegated and, and not particularly finishing well in the in the season. Hopefully we do use that 14th place finish now as, as a minimum and say, right, we want to be kind of lower mid-table to, to, to proper mid-table, 10th um, and upwards targeting that as a finish but I don't think it's necessarily uh, you know a necessity for Nigel Pearson next year I think another you know I'd take another 17th place finish now if you offered it to me um, I think he's probably got another year's grace before we start saying we have to start finishing above this um, to, to fulfill the project that the owners have got in their heads Alright and any final thoughts you'd like to share with people before we head out of here? No, I mean, just to say thank you very much for listening. and I'm kind of very pleased to be sticking with you guys for next season. It's been uh, it's been really fun. So I'm looking forward to coming back next year and hopefully talking about another successful season for the Foxes. Great. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And thanks for doing this and the whole season. And we look forward to working with you again next year. Up next, we have Rob Pollard. He's a freelance journalist and he's on Twitter at Rob Pollard underscore. Rob, what have you made of Manchester City season? Um, well, it's been very underwhelming uh, and disappointing, really. I think that City was so good last season. You know, they won two trophies, scored 158 goals in all competitions and played some great football. 
um, particularly December and January of last season, that expectations were, were very high this time and it just never really got going. And you look at some of the great performances of last time, there's been very, very few, if any, this season that have come even close to uh, the high points of last season. So I think you, the, the word I've used a lot has been uh, regression. It seems to have just been regression every, all over uh, the pitch, really. Um, if you look at City in the Champions League, they made the last 16 again, but um, it was definitely regression because the way they scraped through the group was uh, was not impressive at all, whereas last season they comfortably made it through. The league has been an obvious regression. They've gone from winning the title to being sort of eight points off the pace and allowing Chelsea to completely overtake them. And in both domestic cups, they exited much earlier and to uh, what you would consider to be lesser teams. So all in all, it's been far, far worse than than the previous season. The only um, sort of saving grace, if you like, has been this sort of six-match uh, winning run at the end, of, very end of the campaign. That's kind of, I don't know, not certainly not masked the failure of of not winning a trophy, but shown a bit of character, I think, and and uh, proven to people that there is a bit of fight in in this squad. Because after the the derby defeat at Old Trafford in April, which was a bit of a low point really of the season, to have won six games after that I think um, I think City do deserve a bit of credit for that but uh, overall no it's been desperately disappointing and quite uninspiring really Yeah as you mentioned you, you're quite disappointed as are many City fans I'd imagine a lot of that was put down to Pellegrini throughout the season are we still confident in Pellegrini are you pleased with his performance or do you think he should be uh, criticised and maybe out the door soon? I don't think um, we can be pleased with his performance. I don't think he's pleased with his performance. But I do find that he take he seems to take too much of the flack. I think um, what I've noticed with Pellegrini it's quite strange that when things are going well, which they were last season, they went very well. He doesn't seem to get the credit perhaps that he deserves, and when things are going badly, he gets hammered perhaps more than he should. Uh, don't know why that is, probably because he's not a particularly shrewd media operator. He, he's not got much charm and he's not got much charisma. And therefore the the sort of the big boys in the press don't particularly haven't particularly taken to him. So I don't think he gets good press. But um at the same time I think the players need to take some responsibility. I think, you know, that a lot of them have let him down at times this season. I think they would have to accept that if they were being honest with themselves. And I think that Cheeky Bagiristain, the sporting director who sort of oversees the transfer activity, he needs to perhaps uh, look at look at his position or certainly look at his performance as well because the recruitment in the summer, although City were hampered by FFP, which I think affected them more than um, anybody thought, um, even though he was hampered by that, I don't think the signings improved City enough. Um, so I think that there is a, there's a collective responsibility, really. And just to put it all on the door of Pellegrini, which has been the temptation from a lot of people this season, I think would be unfair. Um, but, well, I mean, if he was to lose his job, I don't think it would be the most unfair sacking in history. But my understanding is that um, he won't lose his job and that he will be there next season. I think that's the way the club are looking at it. Unless something comes 
available and we're speaking just after Ancelotti's been um been officially sacked. Um but apparently he's maybe taken a year out for surgery, so I don't know how that's gonna play out. But if so if something came along that they felt um was something they couldn't resist, then perhaps they would would get rid of him. But all the indications I'm getting from um from the club and sort of other journalists who 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 cover the club is that Pep Guardiola is the number one target, and and the plan all along, I think, was to bring Pellegrini in on the the medium term, three years, um, which was the same time that Guardiola signed for for Bayern for, and then look to bring Guardiola in and replace him. So I think they're they're trying to stick to that plan, and that I think if that works out and and Guardiola comes in next summer. And I think it would probably be the most sensible thing to to have kept Pellegrini for this year because he knows the club, he knows the players, and there is still a lot of goodwill towards him in the club. And there's a lot of people at the club who respect him because I think they recognise that last season he took over a very divided and fractured, disparate squad. Um, there were a lot of unhappy players at the end of the Mancini era, and he sort of took them, added a few of his own, and created a very, very good side that won two trophies and played the best football in the city have played in the last 20 years. So um, I, I would certainly expect him now, particularly after the six-game winning run at the end of this season, to still be in charge next year. Yeah, you mentioned how recruitment might be a thing that needs to be improved. There are Yaya Toure rumours out, a lot of people saying that either FFP or, or having the right amount of homegrown players may be an issue for you. What do you think you'll do player-wise uh, through the summer transfer window? I think pace is the most important thing. I think City needs to uh, inject some pace into the squad. I mean, if you look at them at times, Aguero was obviously very, very quick over the first ten yard, five, ten yards and very, very sharp in and around the box. And you've got Navas, who's very, very quick, but he's not a world-class player. And I think that if 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 City's recruitment this summer is, is, is the standard that it should be, then he's no longer going to play as as often as he should. And they're the only two two uh, pacey players that City have got. So I think that they certainly need to add pace. I think that's why Sterling is so attractive because he ticks absolutely every single box that City need in the sense that he's young and City's squad's looking a little bit old at the moment. Perhaps they need some younger players in there, hungrier players. He's very hungry for success. He wants to improve himself and he wants to win things. He's very, very quick and they need that. And he's a ball carrier. And I think that's something that City... The big difference, I think, between City and the other top sides in Europe is that they don't have one. They don't have a world-class ball carrier who can pick the ball up from deep, commit defenders and create space. I think if you look at... I mean, Barcelona have got Messi and Neymar who can do that. You've got um, Robin, uh, Bayern. You've got um, Ronaldo, obviously, and Bale at Madrid. Di Maria at United, obviously that's not worked out, but he's certainly that kind of player. And Chelsea have got Eden Hazard, and, and City just don't have it. I mean, Navas is the closest they've got, and he's just absolutely nowhere near that bracket. I like Jesus Navas, I think he's a very good squad player, but uh, he's not in that bracket. So I think that's one thing they need to address, is, is pace. I also um, think the midfield needs reinventing a little bit. I think whether Torre stays or goes, and my hunch is that he would, he might stay uh, for one more year. 
but even if he goes or, or stays, I think that City need to reinvent the midfield a bit. I think there's been a lack of energy and a lack of urgency in there. I like Verratti at Paris Saint-Germain. Now, I don't know how realistic that would be or how available he is, but he's certainly the type of player that City need. I think that they need somebody like that. Um, and they also need a few squad players as well. Toby um, Alderweireld, um, who's been on loan at Southampton, I think that he's perhaps the kind of another type of player that they're going to look at, one who can operate in a number of positions, but he's also very, very good in one. Um, so t- in truth, I think they've got a very, very big summer ahead of them, City. I think that fans of clubs say this every summer about their team, but I genuinely believe that this summer is a big crossroads for City because you look at the age of the squad and you look at how a lot of them have regressed this year. A lot of them who have put sort of 29, 30 as well. Your Jekos, your Kolarovs, Samir Nasri's 27, but he's gone backwards as well and he wouldn't be surprised if he left. Um, but in terms of FFP, I think that, well, the sanctions are lifted anyway, so there's no net spend limit. City's revenue has increased dramatically in the last 12 months, so they're going to be able to compete for any player that they want, really. Um, so I don't think there's any issue there. And there's also a lot of players that have got to go. So I think that their wage bill is going to reduce be reduced significantly. If you think of the players I've just listed, um, Nasri, Kolarov, Dzeko, uh, they could all go. You've got Jovetic, who seems a dead cert to leave. And then you've got a handful of players who just haven't officially left yet who will be doing. You've got Scott Sinclair, Matai Anastasic, Micah Richards and Alvaro Negredo. So when you actually put the list of players together who are going to leave uh, and you consider the sort of space that's going to free up on the wage bill and some of the money that's going to come in, I think that City, you might find, are going to have more room to manoeuvre in the transfer market this summer than many people have perhaps given them uh, given them credit for. All right, and of the players that you already have, who would you say you were most impressed by and who was your player and young player of the season? Um, Aguero was almost certainly the player of the season. I think that he played 10 more league games this season than he did last. Um, And I think Pellegrini does deserve a bit of credit for that because the way he managed him when he came back from the World Cup was, with hindsight, very impressive. I think there was an eagerness from the City fans at the time to play him more in the early weeks of the season and Pellegrini was really cautious with him. And that paid dividends in the end because 10 more league games from from your, your number one striker is very significant. Um, 32 goals in all competitions again uh, he's the best striker in the club's history and despite this season again being slightly injury affected here and there um, I think he's been been very very good I mean young player of the year is difficult because City haven't really played many young players I mean the the, the gap between the academy EDS team and the first team is now so huge that giving these players a chance is, is very, very difficult. And um, I mean, Mangala at 23 has come in and I think, again, a little bit like uh, Dimachelis last year, um, has been the victim of a very unfair media campaign. I think that, yeah, he has struggled and there's been concentration issues and, and he's, he's lacked assuredness at times. But at the same time, he's also shown flashes of absolute brilliance and He's had a run of games at the end of the season that have coincided with City winning them all and when Vincent Kompany's been injured and he's actually started to look a lot better. And uh, although City have paid an astronomical amount of money 
when everything is taken into account, agent fees and everything else, that deal costs City £42 million, which is an incredible amount of money for for a player who's been in and out of the side. But I do think he's actually got the attributes there to be a very, very good player. I think he's, I mean, he's unfathomably strong, very, very quick player. He's got a tremendous leap. He can dominate forwards aerially. I just think that he needs to sort of calm down and 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 read the game a bit better and hopefully that's something that will come with time and he's played 25 league games this year in his first season you know it's not a bad platform to build on um for the next season so i i actually have quite high hopes that mangala will um go on to be you know to be a good player really um but yeah, in terms of giving you a definite sort of young player of the year, it's difficult. I mean, the EDS side have been performing very well. I mean, there's a lad at left back called Angelino who looks very, very talented and gifted, and he's performed superbly throughout this season at that level. And there's also a winger ahead of him called Brandon Barker, who's two-footed, technically very gifted, can go either way, inside or outside, and... He looks a talent as well. So I think there's a, there's a crop of them coming through. Um, but in the first team, obviously, it's um, it's been a slim pickings, really. All right. And as we head into next season already, we only have 75 days. So it's quick and pending. Uh, what do you think your targets will be for next season? Winning the league, Champions League improvements? What, what are you expecting next year? Yeah, absolutely. I think winning the league is, is the number one priority. I think reclaiming that is is very, very important and reasserting the domestic dominance, which City have definitely had. If you look at the last sort of four years or something in, in terms of collective points in the league, City, well, at the turn of the year they were, I've not checked since, but City were far and away, um, you know, the, 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 in, in the top of that table. And um, obviously they've won a clean sweep of domestic trophies in that time as well. So I think that reasserting that dominance is important and winning the title again and, and showing Chelsea that they're not just going to go off and dominate for the next two or three years. And I think improving in the Champions League is vital. I think getting beyond that last 16 um, and, and getting deeper into the competition, you know, a last four spot really to, to help everyone believe because I think there has been a lack of belief at City in the Champions League. But since the days of Mancini, this is not a new thing with Pellegrini really. This goes right back to City's first year uh, in the competition. And uh, I think that they need now um, to really, really show that they are in that sort of top table of, of European sides, which at the moment they're not. And that, that, that's what this summer uh, recruitment drive is going to be all about, pushing them to that, you know, to that top table and saying that they belong there. And then as well, I think domestic cup competitions need to improve as well, which I don't think is going to be very hard. I mean, they were knocked out of the League Cup by Newcastle's second string side and they were knocked out of the FA Cup by Middlesbrough um, to desperately disappointing performances and results. And um, I don't think it'll be hard to improve on that. So I think they need, basically, they need to um, perform better in every single competition next season than they have done this time which uh, probably tells you something about the the quality of the season that they've they've just had really all right well uh with that we are out of time but it's an absolute pleasure having you on again we're glad you joined us throughout the year and we can't wait to have you on again next year thank you very much thanks for asking me on
Next, we have Zach, who's a Liverpool fan. He writes for EPL and Anfield Index and can be found on Twitter at ZachForster underscore AI. Zach, what do you make of Liverpool's season? Um, definitely a season of disappointment, considering um, how expectations were heightened with the with the great run we had last season. Um, I think we've been hugely disappointed in the tactics of the season, um, especially how after 38 games we don't we don't have a formation. We just have like what suits Brendan's mood at the time. Um, it's yeah, I think the, the lack of clear direction and an identity is the, the thing that galls the most. If we'd have failed to get top four, but had made strides in the way of consolidating an identity post Luis Suarez, especially with Daniel Sturridge injured. I think that would have that would have sort of eased um, the fans' fears that we're not going in the right direction and that we are actually regressing. But um, yeah, the fact that we failed to get top four whilst also not having an identity or a style of play that was usable for more than five or six games, I think that's the most worrying thing, and I think that's the thing that goals the supporters the most. What do you make of his season thus far? Are you thinking that he, he should be staying or do you think he should be looking at other options going forward? Um, I think Brendan Rodgers, on like on his own, has had a really poor season because at times the um, the personnel have not performed as they should have and there has been other factors such as obviously losing Suarez and then obviously the injuries and the lack of trust that he had in the forwards that he has. But these are all... these factors that could have been uh, remedied before they even occurred. Like we, we we probably knew that Daniel Sturridge wasn't going to be fit for a 38-game season. And then if you include cup games, we're talking 50 games. Um, so Balotelli, like, whilst he did perform well in a two, as soon as Rodgers decided to throw that out the window when Sturridge was injured... That was his one of his first tactical mistakes, and that sort of like set the tone for our season. Once we got into that slippery slope, after Sturridge got injured at, um, after the Tottenham game at Wahal Lane, um, that's sort of when the wheels came off because Sturridge got injured in the week after that on England duty, and that sort of tactical mistake seemed to just he didn't learn from it quick enough, and that culminated in us being beaten three one away to Crystal Palace with Ricky Lambert on his own up front with the lack of fluidity and the lack of pace in the team. Even though we have some pacey players, it just everything seems so slow. And also he seemed he seemed intent on playing a really possession based game this season, which was which was obviously one of his principles when he first joined. But after last season and as I spoke about identity before, we had one last season. And the identity was fast paced, pressing, counter attacking and like not dawdling on the ball, but now we seem to like we seem to recycle the ball for recycling's sake and like all these tactical mistakes, well, in my opinion, mistakes, and a lot of the Liverpool fan base's opinions is what is why we think Rodgers has had a really poor season and a lot of people would now probably replace Rodgers because he just doesn't seem to learn quick enough from his mistakes. All right, and, and obviously there are some changes that need to be made. You spent a lot last summer. You have Origi coming over who has not been uh, touted as doing very well this season. Mm -hmm. What moves yeah. do you think you're going to need to make this summer to really get back to where you're trying to, to be? Well, I think, first of all, I think it's really, really saddening that we've spent this much money, but we still need to spend that much money again to get anywhere near where we want to be. Like it's The way, the amount of times I've watched Liverpool raise a player into a sort of star player in world football 
and then waste that money. It's re- it's it's really saddening that we can't take advantage of this because that's what clubs do. Like they sort of bring a player up from slightly lower, maybe, and then sell him for a really really strong profit, like Suarez and Torres. But then we waste it. So at the minute, there's still quite a few holes in our squad, and personally, I'd like to see Liverpool sign an out and out defensive midfielder. And I've been saying that for probably since Rodgers took over because although there's there's people on we'll call it LFC Twitter um, that believe that goals 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 are the up are like the be all and end all of football, and that we should sign attacking players only sort of thing and play an attacking style of football when really, as the saying goes, solid defenses win your titles. Where, but strikers win win your games. I don't know which one I'd rather win. And um, yeah, I'd love to see us sign a DM, and I'd really like really like us to um, sign a new right centre back to replace Skirtle. And this will be an, un- an unpopular opinion with fifty percent of the Liverpool fans that listen to to this podcast. But I do th- I do think that although Skirtle was very good, admittedly in the um, in the central role of the back three. I think that in a back four, he's just a complete liability, especially with Lovren next to him. And he doesn't look much better with Sacco next to him, and I rate Sacco much higher than Lovren. So I'd be looking to maybe cash cash in on him if we can, so maybe Napoli or Wolfsburg have been linked, because this is the last summer that we'll ever have any value for him. So I'd really like us to sign a new right centre-back. Um, I'd love it if we could also sign a right-back, but with Manke- I'm I'm quite a fan of Mankio. And Rodgers clearly isn't because he's not used him since the first half of the season. So, and we've got him for another year. So that that could be sort of like a reserve position to fill in because there is other aspects of the squad that need to be filled in first, such as the right centre back in the DM. So um, I'd like to see us get a a winger for squad depth, or if Sterling leaves, I'd like to get us see us get a first choice uh, left winger um, to replace him. And I'd also like like us to get two. Two new strikers, Sturridge, Balotelli, and then two more strikers. That's that's how I'd go. And sell Barini and Lambert, sort of thing, like re- just replacing. Yeah, and going from players that need replacing to the players that impressed you most, who would you say were your player and young player of the year at Liverpool? <sighs> young player. I really don't want to say Sterling. <laughs> uh, well, I'm gonna. To be fair, it. Right, you Sterling. Know if it, you'd like. Yeah, I don't think he's not really been here long enough. He is he's really impressed me, no no doubt. Jordan has really impressed me. But if if we're if we're going truthfully, despite what's happened in the last three months or so, Raheem Sterling has been Liverpool's young player of the year, as was voted um by the actual club players and staff. Um I think he scored I think he got double figures in all competitions, I can't quite remember. I think he got eight in the Premier League and somewhere similar for assists and his chances created were were Easily our highest, so and he's only nineteen, so well twenty. I can't even remember. I'm so blurred, but yeah, this is um those are the facts. So I suppose he has to be our young player of the year. Um, my full player of the year would probably be Felipe Coutinho, for whatever reason. Um, he didn't start the season well, even though we looked on fire in preseason. Um, and he sort of got frozen out by Rodgers for a little while, but once he found his way back into the team permanently around the end of November, maybe the start of December, um, he really started to kick on. And he, at times he looks like the player that we want him to become. 
and he and he, he also I think could fit into the Young Player of the Year award because he's um he's only very young, so that's that's good for the future. And he's just signed a new contract, so that's that's a good good aspect for the future. Um, yeah, if it wasn't Coutinho, I'd probably vote Mignolet because um his second half of the campaign was really stellar up until about probably the last two games when they all just seemed to give up. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the second half of the season was definitely really impressive. Um, and he was probably one of the only players, and Rodgers' favourite word, who showed a bit of character um, because he uh, he really recovered from an awful first half of the season. He really was terrible. And it shows a lot of balls and a lot of determination um, to try and recover from something like that because a lot of people just let, them, let themselves sink into the sand. But... He he's now raised the question as to whether we do replace him this summer, which is really good. And as you noticed, I didn't actually say that we should sign a new keeper. So I'm 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 up for keeping Mignolet, and that was certainly not the opinion um, around November December of 2014. So yeah, Coutinho and then Mignolet, but Mignolet is quite close to Coutinho. All right, and with those new players and the players you just mentioned, hopefully improving, unless Sterling of course leaves. What do you think your target should be for next season? Well, the ta- the target never changes. Um, we've got to, we've got to try and get into that top four, and obviously going forward, we need to try and make sure that it's not just a fleeting appearance in in the Champions League, um, because it one season in and one two seasons out, like, or or more than that, doesn't really do the club any favors. It's just a very short term way of playing. Um, I'd love to see us try and go deep into the Europa League. Um, anyone who listened to our podcast um, a couple of weeks ago will have heard my opinions on the Europa League. I think it's a good competition. And I'd like to see us use a mixture of youth and senior in the group stage to try and get through that and then hopefully take it a bit more seriously once we get into the knockout competition when the Champions League uh, teams drop in. So my two main objectives for the season would probably be trying to get top four, as as always, that's that's Tottenham's aim, that's Arsenal's aim, that's Liverpool's aim, that's probably going to be Southampton's aim, etc. Um, and then go deep in the Europa League because obviously that's another avenue to the Champions League and I think that's something we should look at. And if Rodgers is to stay, one of his main drawbacks is that his, his performance in Europe is absolutely terrible. And if he wants to progress as a manager, he cannot take the Europa League lightly and he needs to find a way to use a, a, a squad, even if it's not a squad like Man City's or Real Madrid's or Chelsea's, it's still a squad. And that if you have to use kids then to make up the squad, then do it. But he needs to learn how to rotate a squad so that we don't get complete burnout at the end of the season, like some of the players probably have been, because they'll, some of them just look dead on the feet um, after the Swansea game um, at the Liberty Stadium a couple of a couple of months ago. So ever since then, we've been we've looked knackered. So. Rodgers needs to learn, if he's still here, he needs to learn how to uh, utilise the squad in both Europe and domestically. So I'd like to see us go deep in the Europa League and aim for the top four and obviously keep both those campaigns on track. All right, well, Zach, thanks for doing this and and joining us throughout the whole season. We we really appreciate it and look forward to a better next season. Yeah, it's been, honestly, it's been really good um, being here. I've really enjoyed it. I can't wait for next season so we can do some more of these. Hopefully we can do some through the summer talking about transfers and managerial merry-go-rounds, etc. So, yeah, thanks for having me. And that concludes day two of our season review special. Tune in tomorrow as we'll be continuing more reviews. 
And big thanks to Steve, Jim, Rob, and Zach for joining us today and throughout the season. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.